Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the Good News Podcast that we are uh, embarking on once again with our dear friend, David McMinn, as we continue our How Sweet the Sound hymn series. My name is Austin Taylor. We have our friend David here. What's up, everybody? David, being as awesome as he always is. Uh, unfortunately, Trevor. Uh, Pastor we lost Trevor's, Trevor. Yeah, he's not going to be here. We do not know where he is. Well, yeah, he's he's just gone. Um, we hear he's at he's at the church doing something. I don't know what he's doing because quarantine and isolation is still in effect. But he's doing something up there, saving lives. Saving lives. I hope so. Yeah. Um, so uh, we will be recording without him, and that's okay because uh, even though I would I was underprepared for this, having to fill in for Trevor. Uh, David knows his stuff. David is a smart man who has done lots of preparation and knows lots of things about other things. Isn't that I, right? I, I have a lot of useless knowledge. I'm not sure how helpful that is, but I do know a lot about, well, I know a little things about a lot of things. Does that make any sense? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, my parents have described themselves as, as having that kind of knowledge too. Uh, it's good for trivia. Yeah, um, yeah. Cool. Yeah, so we're, we're hopping into this uh, podcast today, continuing our How Sweet the Sound series where we're talking about very historic hymns. And uh, this happens to be one that I've had to do frequently uh, and that I definitely have a lot of stories and connections about. Um, I believe but, you shared one last week. And the funny thing was I was listening to this hymn as my prayer time this morning. And I definitely listened to the Mormon Tabernacle Choir singing it. And it made me think of you, Austin. <laughs> If you have not checked out the Amazing Grace podcast we did last week, uh, I highly encourage you all to check it out. David and Trevor had some amazing insight and history and conversation about Amazing Grace, and we're hoping to have something comparable today. We'll see. Uh, But uh, I did, in fact, share a story of a funeral where uh, things went really wrong musically, and I was very uh, challenged by the whole experience. And this is another song that actually came from that story as well. Oh, well, that's not why we chose it, I don't believe. Uh, but what song is it? Drum roll, please. <laughs> it is well. It, it is well with is my soul. Uh, the classic uh, hymn by Horatio Spafford. What a name, Horatio. Maybe I should name, if I had another kid, Horatio sounds like a great name. I was about to say the same thing. I'm going to tell my fiance when we eventually have kids, that's that's my son's name, Horatio. I love those great old names like that, Horatio. I mean, he sounds like an admiral or a general. Right, right. Totally. Which I wish, I, you, could, I wish you could see our friend Austin right now because he looks like a Civil World general. He has shaved. I don't know how to describe it. It's like not necessarily a handlebar, but it goes across his upper lip, down, and then there's a gap where his chin is and it goes back to uh to the back of his head and he looks like horatio spafford right now yeah so actually i was uh i was rocking the full beard and i decided i was going to look at facial hairstyles that were absurd that i could shave it into since i'm stuck inside anyway and i found a uh, photo that was called mutton chops that happened to be of a civil war era soldier um and it had this style just like that, where it was basically a beard minus the chin. Um, and so mutton chops, I believe, is the formal style of it. But it definitely sounds like something Horatio Spafford would have worn. Apparently that's fake news. I just Googled it, and he is a clean-shaven man. Oh. Dang it. That would have been so cool. You can tell I'm not researched. but 
No, I was the first one that said you'd look like Horatio Stafford. It's all good. True. Well, um, regardless, we are talking about It Is Well With My Soul. Something, I think this is a hymn that a lot of people probably have a lot of connection with because it's gotten almost as much mileage probably as Amazing Grace in the church. Wouldn't you say so, David? Yeah, actually, this is one of two hymns that we sang at my wedding, which may, may kind of sound like an odd song, uh, like, a, you know, preparing for the worst for at your wedding. <laughs> <laughs> no, but we just, we both love the song. We sang this and Be Thou My Vision uh, during communion at my, at my wedding, and it was awesome. That's awesome. But I also think there is some cool symbolism, though, in, in that having that having significance at a wedding because of for better or for worse, you know? Yeah, absolutely. A, a Christ-centered relationship and letting that song kind of say, regardless of what comes in front of us, we're united and Christ is with us. So I was, something I was, cool with that. I was definitely not comparing Michelle to Satan. <laughs> uh, let it be on the right. record, everyone. You're right that, uh, you know, I mean, just like the lyrics, you know, when, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrow like sea billows roll, whatever my lot that was taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Uh, anyone who has been in a long-term relationship knows there are good times when you feel wonderful and there's, there's times when it feels rocky and, and you need to be able to say it is well and I love you and no matter what happens, we're going to stick through it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I love uh, I love the lyrics of this too. I think it tells an amazing story of a descent into uh, hurt, into trials. Uh, but I I really love the triumphant ending and the way it kind of turns back towards hope at the end. When Lord Absolutely. hastes the day, when my face shall be sight, the clouds be rolled back as a scroll, kind of thing. I mean, I think that's uh, to me it's awesome to. Uh, end hymns like that with this glimmer of hope, which is something very common in the Wesleyan hymnal, I know. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and just that, um, you know, whether it's the moment of greatest crisis to the moment of greatest glory, it is well with my soul. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, I, I feel like it's a lot easier to say that than believe that. Totally, totally. I definitely... Uh, I definitely see the significance of it and why it's chosen so much for funerals. I guess for weddings too. There's some cool symbolism. Maybe I need to consider it for my wedding. I don't know. You should. I'll sing it at your wedding. It is well. Yeah, you know, it's not the Mormon Tabernacle <laughs> Choir when you do it, but <laughs> but that is something I feel like is so unique about this song, actually, from a musical perspective, is the way that it has a round in the chorus where there's a call and a response as well. That's something that does not happen a lot, I think, in the hymnal. And it's definitely a cool feature of this that I happen to really, really love. So you're saying it has really interesting musicality in addition to lyrics and history and all that. Yeah, I think that there's something special about... Um, from, from, a, from a worship leader's perspective here, I'll just say, before we get into any more, I, I, was, I was thinking when we should pull out the worship leader perspective of this. but um, We're there. That, We're there, Austin. Yeah, apparently I'm just jumping right into it just because I get excited when I look at the lyrics of this song only. Um, but as a worship leader, I am constantly trying to think not only of, uh, of what chords are being played and what the feel is and style is of the music, but... I'm thinking of what the song is forcing us to do. I'm thinking mm. of what it's forcing us to say when we sing along to it. And also, uh, the very idea of corporate worship is special. And the mm. idea of corporate meaning us gathered as a body of Christ um, is special in that we are all singing in 
in unison together. Yeah. But this is a song where not everyone sings in unison. Instead, we have this call and response that leads to a never-ending chorus during the chorus. There is, uh, there is a constant singing. There's no break for breath or anything like that, which I think is really a beautiful experience to encounter in worship, where you feel like you are contributing in a way that if you were to stop, it's even more noticeable. Not because, uh, not because everyone is you're singing louder than everyone else or something like that, and when you drop out, everyone's still singing, but it's quieter. But because each person plays a pivotal role in that chorus in contributing to that never-ending sound. So that's something really significant that I really value about this hymn. When I think about that, that just had like fireworks go off in my brain because you know as we sing that, it is well with my soul. And we do it as a round. It's like some people bear that for a time. And when I'm going through a difficult time, I'm going to be saying it is well with my soul, even though it is not. But because you are able to say that with me and maybe in that round, it's kind of like you're bearing it for me. And then when you're in need and need someone else to bear it because you, you can't fit it, but you, I mean, you can't uh, imagine how to say it as well because of what you're going through. Mm. You can look at me and say, because David is here, you know, carrying this burden, then I can say, okay, it is well. And it kind of reminds me of John Wesley when he was struggling with his faith and uh, um, he was talking to one of the Moravians and, and the Moravian said, preach faith till you have it. And then once you have faith, preach it, hmm. which means that sometimes we have to say things even when we're not feeling it, like it is well. And when we're in a community of faith, when we see that reflected in other people, it's like that resonance with uh, resonates within us to say, I don't have to feel this right now because I know you're feeling it right now and because you are, you're providing me comfort. You know, that's an amazing perspective. It's so true. I've heard that a lot often expressed in worship. I've shared that a lot with my congregation at Good News uh, and in other places as well, but it is so true. Sing it till you believe it basically. Um, yeah. There's power in that. I think that's the other beautiful part of this is, is worship music grants language. It gives us words to express things even when we don't have words to express it ourselves. Yeah. And so that extends to the very belief that it is well. That also extends to when we don't know how to describe what's going on, when we are desiring peace and trying to speak that into existence. Um, this is a way to say it in a way. And also, I mean, even, even, the, uh, even the verses, though Satan should buffet, though trial should come, let this blessed assurance control is... That is is less a declaration as as a request, you know. Um, let let this blessed assurance control. Mm. Let it be something that is uh, it more in control than these trials and than Satan. And so I think that that uh, that theme is very present throughout the rest of this song as well. That's a really good observation, David. And I, I feel like it's such an honest song. Like sometimes uh, we sing so many uh, worship songs that. Well, we're saying it, but we're not being honest. You know, like things when we say, like, you're my all, God. Well, we want God to be our all, but we're not. But this one is like, yeah, it is well with my soul. But there, but I realize that in this moment that I need, I'm asking God to have that rather than saying it just is when it isn't, you know. And and I love the honesty. And this may be a good segue to talk a little bit about the history of the song, if you want me to jump in on that yeah yeah i was just about to ask you that you tell us a little bit more about how this song was written the, the writer all that so horatio spafford uh was a i believe a lawyer 
and he had sent his family. They decided they were going to go on vacation. And um, actually, uh, his son had died of scarlet fever not too long before that. So he had sent his family on vacation to England. And on that trip, uh, for some reason, he couldn't go with them. And on the trip, the the ship collided with another ship and 200 people were lost, including his four daughters. Oh, my gosh. Uh, his wife survived and sent him a telegram saying, I'm alone and I don't know what to do. And so, of course, Horatio jumped on a boat. And as he was crossing the ocean, uh, the, the captain brought him to the very spot where the, the wreck had happened and said, this is where it happened. And is it at that moment that he was inspired with these words? Hmm. So can you imagine, I mean, as a father, I know you're not yet a father, but you have plenty of people in your life that you love. But could you imagine like coming to the spot where you knew that your, your kids had passed away and, and just the emotion, I mean, like I would have been a wreck. Yeah. And yet you got this word of assurance from God that it is well with my soul. Well, and there's, I think there's significance also in that he probably was a wreck, you know? I mean, these words probably don't reflect the full range of emotion. And yet in the middle of probably intense hurt and intense pain, he's able to center himself and say that and have it be a, a grounding experience. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. Um I think that. it's really funny right now, by the way, for uh, y'all can't see it right now, but David's two daughters right now are hanging out. Uh, and <laughs> I don't want to say bothering in the middle of us recording this podcast, but uh, I'm friends with them and I like to say hi to them. So um, yeah, they so love easily. Austin. Every kid <laughs> loves Austin. No, you can't have the headphones. David's getting yeah. getting pawed at and everything. So, yeah. but yeah, it's it's amazing that. Uh, and, and, and you know more about art than I do, but it's amazing how the grief allows the creation of art that has touched so many lives. That God used that incredibly tragic moment in his life because, and, and I think that's what God does when we're, when we're going through tragedy, is that God allows us to heal just at the right moment or enough so that we can use the pain that we're going through to help other people. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's that's so much the uh, and, and part of this goes back to the honesty part that you're talking about is artistry. One thing that I, I've talked a lot about with a lot of artists, um, I, I'm part of a creativity group that meets. It's all these artists of different mediums uh, that we meet and just check in with each other every other week, usually. Um, and one thing we've talked about with them is that so much of art is is taking something personal and trying to convey it to other people. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, but part of that is that what you are saying has to be true to you before it can be true to someone else. You can't speak truth into someone else's life without knowing it's truth in your own heart first. And so uh, that, that expands to all these ranges of emotions. So if you want to touch someone in a way that they can properly grieve then the art that you are creating has to express your own grief first. And so it's, it's honestly does not surprise me at all that such a powerful, impactful, historic hymn that has touched so many lives and to this day moves hearts and helps people process and experience this full range of emotion came from a place of such intense grief and hurt. I've been learning a lot that if we're going to be the people that God wants us to be, 
that we have to be vulnerable with each other and that when we're hurting, we have to be honest and open. And then whether that's through art or just by being there for each other, it connects us because we really are, are saying, Hey, this is what I'm dealing with. And for me, that's really difficult. And, but I, I think that relates to what's going on right now with, uh, with the quarantine, sorry, quarantine, whatever it is, stay at home order with, so it seemed like we've gone through these different stages, right? So the first stage was like, okay, we can do this. And everybody was really positive. And uh, then a lot of anxiety came out and everyone started to kind of freak out. But now I kind of feel like we're in this, the doldrum stage of like, it just seems like it's going to stretch on forever. And, and, and we're in this malaise. And, uh, you know, I think that we need to be able to, the song speaks to all that because it speaks to when we're at the low, it speaks to when our anxiety is high, it speaks to when, we just want to lay on the couch and do nothing. And, and, and yet God is with us saying it is well with our soul. Um, I don't know. How are you feeling with, with that Austin? As, as far as I know you shaved your part of your beard because you just need to experience something different. I mean, we're all just sort of like, I don't know, struggling with this together. Yeah. You know, and as, as an artist, I think uh, the struggle that I've experienced is a loss of passion and drive. Oh, it's heck so yeah. easy. That's yeah, right. I mean, I, I think uh, I've heard it from a lot of people, but I mean, obviously work needs to get done and work gets done. But there's so much more beyond uh, the necessity that I feel like I've started to fall away from because uh, being cooped up has just uh, killed my passion in yeah. so many ways. There's so many other things I'd like to do that whether it's just go outside for an extended period of time, go see people that I really love and, and would value spending more time with um, things like that, that I'm, I'm stuck in this feeling of complacency and, and you called it doldrum, which I think is so fitting using a nautical term like that for yeah, sorrows like sea billows roll and the story of it as well. Um for those who don't know, doldrums, I believe, I, I, you can remind me if I'm, if I'm wrong in some way, David, but I believe doldrums are when the wind is completely dead in the exactly. middle of the ocean. You can't even move. You're just right. stuck. So sailboats are completely stuck. Very famous event that happens in the Pacific uh, is what I know about it because I happen to really like sailing. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, this doldrum of life for sure definitely feels like uh, I don't have any mobility, not just in terms of moving outside of my house, but in terms of uh, I don't feel like I'm capable of moving anywhere in a broader, more metaphorical sense. Yeah. It's like life has literally been put on hold. Yeah. And That's March has been forever long. And it's I feel like so this long. Is, it's so long. <laughs> I feel like my birthday, my birthday is in March. And it, I feel like it was months ago. Yeah. Months ago, we hung out on my birthday and that seemed like it was so long ago. You know, I, I, I was wondering, I wanted to get your take, is is the pandemic especially hard on fours and seven on the Enneagram? Because you're a four, right? I right? am a four. I'm an Enneagram four. Because we like to be, we like to be passionate and we like to, uh, I think both fours and sevens are the same and they, that we, we want to do something that matters, you know, and we don't just want to do something just to do something. It has to provide life. And it's so hard right now because just sitting around my house just doesn't have the same feel to it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my, my experience of it is a little bit different because technically I could be doing something, which is making art, which is what I really, really love to do, whether it's music yeah. or art or something, you know, like other mediums, like I could be doing that. Cause that's the form that I really find passion and, and purpose in, 
But like I said, the doldrum is experienced. Uh, doldrum I'm experiencing has uh, pushed me away from that in some ways. So, but you're right. I mean, I feel like the the way it's portrayed, which is so accurate, is that currently the way to serve other people best, to have the most profound impact, is to stay inside and do nothing. Yeah, that's that's what they say, and so but that's totally opposite of everything I want to do in life. Absolutely, it's so contrary. Um, so I definitely feel like there is some Enneagram resonance there for sure. Cause you are a seven, right? We've had this conversation. I am am a seven. Okay. Yeah. yeah, That makes sense. So we Uh, want life to be a party. So I have to be able to deal with this and say it is well with my soul. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe we should write a new, uh, this is your challenge to write a new verse. It is well based on the pandemic. Ooh, that's an interesting challenge. I kind of like that idea. That's cool. Um, although I've, I feel a little bit intimidated by that. We were talking just beforehand about how many recreations we've heard oh. of it as well, where basically people have just avoided the verses and taken the chorus, which is the sad part. I mean, the course is fine, but it's pretty, it's a pretty simple chorus, right? It's nothing except for the way it's done. And, and they don't even necessarily do the round, do they? Some of no. them do maybe, but they don't, they don't even do that. And it's, so it's the, the power of the song is in the verse and it's like, why are you why are you ignoring these verses? Yeah, you know, and it's so interesting. I didn't mention this before, but we were talking about it beforehand, David, but I feel like there's other hymns that I don't mind that with. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I've heard plenty of versions of, for example, Be Thou My Vision, another famous, amazing hymn that... Also sang at my wedding. Yeah, there we go, that you sang at your wedding. It's the other song. Well, I didn't sing it. I mean, it was... I mean, yes, I guess I, did, I didn't lead the singing. Yeah. <laughs> you still sang it. Um, yeah. But yeah, the, that's a song that I feel like I've heard plenty of versions of contemporary and changed and, and taken and drawn inspiration from that to do something new. And I haven't minded, but there's something about Amazing Grace, which we covered last week, mm-hmm. and it as well, that just make them feel untouchable. I don't know what that is, but for some reason, those songs are ones that have such a profound impact. And I, I don't know if it's because of my personal history with those songs or what, but I can't stand when those are, uh, I need to hear those. I'll put it that way. I yeah. need to hear those in their original form. Some, some things just can't be improved upon. <laughs> I'm not saying they were perfect, but they just can't be. They just, they were written so perfect. Well, perfect sounds wrong, but so beautifully and originally that when we, we can try to improve upon it, but it's, it's just not going to work. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense to me. I, I, uh, cause I'm, I mean, I'm, I struggle with it because I am a contemporary worship leader. Um, and I don't really identify as, I identify much more as just a worship leader and I'll do anything. Uh-huh. Right. Um, but the, the fact that I play guitar and sing the way I do leads me to, leads other people to really classify me as a contemporary worship leader, which I get. Um, and so I, I really value that style and I value building upon things and reinterpreting things and finding new meaning both musically and, and lyrically in songs. Um, but I don't know. There's just, I think you're right in that the, what we discussed, the power of the emotion conveyed in both Amazing Grace and It Is Well. And I'd say especially It Is Well. Uh, I don't know if I could ever bring myself to actually do uh, one of the more contemporary settings of It Is Well rather than the verse. Well, they're not any good, so don't. don't <laughs> He's throwing shade. Oh, you better ho- you better hope no one that's done one of those has listened to listen to this podcast. But 
Yeah. I'm sure they know much. Whoever wrote it knows much more about music than I do, but it's not my favorite. <laughs> but that's the thing is, is there is a disconnect, but I, I don't, I don't want it to be something where, um, hymns are about far more than music. Mm. Like I, I could, I could never write a, uh, a hymn. I think to the degree that a song like it is well is written. Um, even as someone that identifies, I, I definitely identify as a songwriter. I love right. writing music. I love recording music, but there is something different about hymns because it is transcending your personal experience only into yeah. something far more universal in God um, and in theology and in identifying characteristics and things about him that are true and will be true beyond my context that I'm stuck in. I think God exists in, in my life and in the context that I am able to express him in. Um, but the fact that those songs have transcended that in such a way as hymns tells me that there's something far more universal that has been captured in them, which I think is something that is so special, that is so unique, that goes beyond just musical knowledge, as you might quote it. Mm-hmm. Um, that that came from something. There was some sort of divine inspiration. I have to believe that really was spoken into that song. Uh, this is probably a conversation for another day, but I wonder if that's one of the reasons that you don't see a lot of the newer songs. You know, you might sing them for five or ten years and they're done, versus these songs that were sang for hundreds of years. Yeah, and I'll say I I do think my opinion of this that it may be a longer conversation. Who knows? We may have to do another podcast about this eventually. I don't know. Um, but I think there will be songs that are written today or written in the last 20 years that uh, really transcend time in, in significant ways. I, I believe that the people that are writing this music are writing it from a place where they are honestly trying to capture their experience of God. And I think that there are songs that do it in such a way that they're going to be sung for a long, long time, for, for centuries. Like Holy Water, right? <laughs> I, I happen, for those of y'all that don't know, I, I happen to, I like the song Holy Water. I happen to not think Holy Water is a very worshipful song. Um, and for that reason, I don't think it'll last very long. Yeah. Um, but there there's some songs, uh, and I'm not, I'm not trying to pretend like I know which ones they're going to be, but you could see songs such as Oceans or So Will I mm-hmm. be songs that really transcend it. I think So Will I does an amazing job of uh, capturing the magnificence of God lyrically and has so much beauty and rhythm to it musically that I think that it could really transcend in a lot of ways and, and extend yeah. far beyond it's what other life lifetimes of these songs are. We actually agree on a song, Austin. <laughs> Last time, I mean, the depth of those lyrics, they're, they're really powerful and, and they, they really do transcend uh, time and place. So, right. And again, I think that's a song where just like it is, well, it comes from a place of, personal sincerity that extends beyond the person into the entity of God and into the, into the truth of humanity and existence and uh, our, our life underneath this being. So I got to admit though, I, you know, I, I, uh, the, the confession I have to make with some of these hymns, I pretend like I know about these songs so much, especially when I lead them. I'm I'm looking right now at the lyrics of it as well to circle back to it, and there's some uh, there's some verses in here I've never heard of in my entire life. <laughs> well, I wonder who you know when they make these hymnals, uh, that they 
they sometimes select which verses and sometimes the Baptist picks certain verses and the Methodist will pick, pick certain verses. And then there's ones you've never even heard of. Yeah, absolutely. Which honestly, I can see why some of these verses don't feel as strong as the ones that, but again, I, that also circles back to my experience of those, of the songs. I have history with these words, which is probably why I view the ones that I recognize as being more powerful. Mm-hmm. Which is something that I think we can take and extrapolate to a lot of the music we experience in church also is I think we spend a lot of time in church and worship singing songs and aiming for comfort and aiming for history, mm-hmm. which is good. I think there's I think there's I don't think that's a bad thing, but I do think that it limits our capacity to draw new meaning and create new history in our own lives with worship music. Um, and that's that's with hymns. That's with contemporary songs as well. Like, what if we what if we see the potential for each song to be something like it is well in our life, where it creates a sense of peace and draws us back to a, a, a sort of home in worship. Mm. But yeah, again, sure. that might be another conversation. I don't know if I'm opening up too much there. <laughs> no, you're good. I, I'm not sure that God really cares too much about comfort. I think Fair. that's a human. I think desire, God, in many cases, desires to put us push us out of our comfort zone. Hmm. Yeah, I could see that. I, I definitely, I see that. I, I think that uh, that is the goal of worship music. You know, we were talking before about uh, about we, you mentioned Zach Hicks to me just just earlier today for some reason. Zach Hicks is an amazing worship leader that wrote an amazing book called The Worship Pastor, and uh, that's kind of the the textbook you could say for a lot of worship leaders right now um and and in not just contemporary styles but in traditional formats as well and that lens that he talks about in the book is basically saying here are the different perspectives that worship can hold so worship is a place for grief worship is a place for celebration and he talks about that from much more personal perspective of what a worship pastor should be doing in the middle of all those things what role music and music leaders can play in that but it does lend itself again to the music that we sing has so many facets to it and has so many perspectives that people can come from to view that and take those words and use them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I do think that that's true. I, I think I still think that there's a place for comfort, but I do think that there's a place for being challenged as well in worship like you're talking about. I do think that's a call for sure that God is leading us towards. So maybe we can experience that. Uh, and it is well, too. I think that something like a wedding, like you mentioned earlier, breeds such new life into this song for me because mm-hmm. I've never sung it at a wedding. Because like, we just assume, I think because we just assume the song only speaks to difficult times. But if you read the lyrics, it's much more universal than that. Yes, it speaks to those times of crisis, but uh, sometimes it's just as hard. And for some people, just as hard to say it is well with my soul on an average Tuesday as it is for somebody who is going through uh, the valley of life. Yeah. I mean, someone that, that reads uh, just the second verse, though Satan should buffet, the trial should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. I mean, that's a statement leading straight into it is well with my soul is such a statement of grace and forgiveness as well for someone that could need to hear that. Yeah. Um, so it is an important thing to understand, probably. That's that's a really good point, David. I think uh, 
we should we should be mindful of the ways that this music can guide us and and be reinterpreted in our own lives um and maybe that is part of the challenge as well is to let ourselves be open to that um because i don't think i want to experience it as well the same way every time i think i want mm. to witness god in new ways through this music each time i sing it yeah that's a really interesting thing and how does someone who heard this at the funeral of their loved one then you sing it in worship. How do they experience it in that moment? Do they think about that moment? Do they think about where they are now? Do they think about their loved one? And uh, how does that affect their worship, which is directed towards God first and foremost? Yeah, it's a hypothetical. I'm not ready to answer today. <laughs> well, I, I didn't really mean for you to answer. I just mean that is that's something to think about as yeah. we sing the songs in worship that are sung at tender moments to think about what is what kind of what are what emotions are we evoking in people? Yeah. Well, I definitely, uh, it's, it's not surprising to me that uh, the, this song, It Is Well, by Horatio Spafford, has definitely led us to such a philosophical debate about life and music and worship and all these things and grief and emotion and artistry. And it feels like we've gone all over the place with this topic, but like part of that is the power of the not song. Here. Well, it's, I'm, it's I'm, also because <laughs> Trevor's not here, huh? <laughs> Oh man, keeping us on task. Yeah, yeah. I feel like the uh, the Enneagram four and seven here are the ones that are most likely to ramble on a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I know I've been uh, I've been deemed verbose before, so um, maybe that's the the problem of having me lead a podcast here alongside you. But well, well maybe we know. should we should wrap up and and uh, let people get about their day. I think you're right. I think you're right. We've been talking for about half an hour now. So if you uh, if you listen for this long, we greatly appreciate you listen to the sweet ramblings of David and Austin. <laughs> um, it, we are so thankful that you were uh, you're joining us on this journey to explore these hymns and the meaning. I know it's been really valuable for us so far, and hopefully we can have Trevor back next time to keep us even a little bit more on task. Maybe. I don't know. But well, David, thank I, you for your contributions. For sure. And I do believe on well, we'll record on Thursday where when it gets to your podcasting app. But I am personally excited. We get to talk about my favorite hobby right now, which is board games. And so um, it's going to be fun. I know Austin. In fact, it's been a little while since I've beat Austin in a board game. So <laughs> he's, a, he's a pretty good board game player over there. You know, I've been – my fiance says she hates playing board games with me, which is not the experience I want to share with yeah. her. I don't want her to hate it, you know, but – I do. Uh, I I have. I had this streak where actually I don't think Trevor has ever defeated me in a board game, which he is really upset about. Uh, and so uh, I think there's a lot of pressure right now for me to uh, perform every time I go show up to these game nights. But um, hopefully we'll get to do those soon. I don't know when the next time will be because of all this stuff. But yeah, tune in on. Uh, we'll we'll be releasing that. Our plan is to release that Friday morning. Um, and so hopefully that'll happen. Uh, but tune into that. And uh, next week, again, we'll be doing another hymn. And so make sure to check that out as well. But thank you so much for sharing this time with us. We can't wait to see you next time. Peace out, everybody.